you believe in ghosts or the supernatural? Well, it's 2020. I guess we can believe in anything. But, um, you know, I do have a story to tell you. Oh, by the way, this is scriptwriter Steve. It is December 1st, 2020. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into the politics and everything like that. We'll transition into that right away after I tell you my story. So this was like maybe, I think back when I was 20 or 21 years old, I had a good friend of mine over and his brother at my house. And um, so we're, at, we're actually having a little sleepover because then we're staying up late and everything. And uh, I live right by the graveyard. I mean, the graveyard is kind of a, maybe a stone throws away. Like I could hear people actually crying sometimes outside my window. Uh, when they're burying their their loved ones, it's kind of sad, you know. But um, you know, I haven't heard that in a while. But that's how close I am to the graveyard, and I've had some people, you know, some some girls come over here, and they're my friends, and they and they're one of those people who are maybe mediums, and uh, have some, I guess I guess have some, uh, uh, I guess uh, they can see dead people or something like that. And uh, both of them have said they've seen ghosts in my house. And um, I'm not sure if I believe them or not. I kind of actually do. But so my friend, Doss, and his uh, brother, a uh, younger brother, Dustin, um, they're, they're, we're staying over in my living room just talking. And then all of a sudden, now it's only us in the house, this very friendly voice comes out of nowhere and echoes throughout the living room and says, Hey guys, like that. Hey guys. And uh, for a second, we all pause and look at each other and say, did you just say, hey guys? And uh, we all said, no, no, there's nothing. So we went around my house checking if my computer was on. Maybe my computer had one of those pop-up ads. Remember those internet pop-up ads that maybe said something? And uh, no, my computer was off. Um, The televisions were off. Uh, Radios were all off. Nothing. Got nothing. So, uh, I mean, I know it's not that, that's not a scary story, but, um, you know, <laughs> it, you know, uh, it still kind of gets to me sometimes because I can't explain that. I cannot exp- explain that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of supernatural things that happen in, in this world that we can't explain. And I think one of them is actually how Joe Biden got 80 million votes. It's one of those eight wonders of the world. Um, there's so many curiosities that surround it, but I think I could probably explain that voice in my living room <laughs> more than actually accepting Joe Biden's election. I really, I, I just can't accept it. I mean, it is almost supernatural that I think that 80 million people voted for Joe Biden. And um, we'll get into that right after these messages. I have to pay the bills now, right? So Here we go with those messages. Stick around. It's only going to be in about 60 seconds. Okay, I am back. Hopefully that wasn't too long. You know, I have to pay the bills somehow. And so far, I think I've made 65 whole cents from my podcast. Isn't that amazing? I'm actually worth more than 50 cents doing this thing. Maybe it'll snowball one day and maybe I can make a living at it. But even if I don't, I don't care. I really, really don't. I just uh, think this is a lot easier than typing a status update on Facebook and just putting out this podcast out there. 
And um, yeah, maybe one day it'll become something. Maybe one day it won't. I'm okay any which way. So today, uh, I guess they had that, I guess that's yesterday, um, they had that Arizona state legislation election fraud you know, hearing over there with Rudy Giuliani. And it was very similar to what we heard over in Pennsylvania. Um, but there were some things in here that were brought up that were so just fascinating and out of this world. Well, first of all, this... This whole thing, this whole hearing, or whatever they want to call it, um, it was really long. I mean, it was, I think it was close to over 10 hours long. And it was just evidence just pouring out. Just people just who had sworn affidavits telling their story one after another. And and, and I couldn't keep up with all of them. And, and I'm, I'm not about to tell you each one. Um, but the, one of the most interesting things that I heard um, today was about this uh, information war specialist. I mean, he was actually uh, trained by our U.S. military to actually infiltrate war, uh, infiltrate information. So he was called an information war specialist. That is an actual title in our U.S. military. And he would actually, um, his job was to actually hack machines on behalf of the United States. And that included hacking voting machines. So the United States, you know, we're not very innocent either. Because again, we get into other people's business. We manipulate their, we manipulate their elections. We do. You know, we're, we're not good you know, in a way. We are, you know, again, we're the worst hypocrites. We're pointing the finger when we are actually just self-projecting what, you know, we do. You know, we're out there saying, hey, you know, you shouldn't be hacking elections. You shouldn't be interfering. And here we are doing probably even worse. I mean, what do we do to Iraq? We actually killed Saddam Hussein. We actually killed Gaddafi. I mean, that's probably the worst, you know, you know, election interference you could probably get. Right. So, um, you know, so this guy out there, um, he's actually I think he's in the private sector now. And he's um, part of like what they call white hat hackers. And he noticed a lot of anomalies within, um, I guess, this last, the 2020 presidential election vote. And he knows a lot about the Dominion machines. He's actually said that they have, um, they all have similar codes. Um, it does go, it does go back to Hugo Chavez. In fact, he had talked to one of the people, one of the soldiers who worked with Hugo Chavez to actually actually manipulate the vote there. So he said all of this there, um, the foundation of the data goes way, way back to there. So Dominion, Smartmatic, um, he, he kind of said all these, these other different names out there. They all have a, a paper trail that you can trace back. And where the start of manipulating data start, of manipulating votes started. And um, he said he had actually audited a voting server in Michigan and found that votes were switched. And they were done on a very small level, on the county level, for small amendments made to that county. Or, and, um, and also um, the small school district votings that actually had swayed one way or the other. And because that server was so small, it, it didn't, you know, encompass the, all of the servers. But just that one server, 
the votes were manipulated for a local issue. Could you imagine that? So if you take that, if, if you know, you know, government officials are going to manipulate a small little little county that no one really cares about, what do you think they'll do to something which they really care about, right? You know, so it's it's very interesting. Well, also what he said that he said that your Venmo account is more secure than your vote than your your electronic vote. So you know, and then he says that um, that the whole voting record it can be completely edited. 100%. So votes can be changed, they can be deleted, they can be they can be inflated. There was an there was an anonymous letter which he received which was copied to a lot of people and it looked very very well written. He actually displayed it um right there at the hearing that said that over 35,000 now he was here oh no, that email um, the author um, wanted to stay, to stay anonymous. So we're not sure if it's real or fake or anything, right? But it was written very, very well, very, very... Um, it looked as though it knew, he knew what he was talking about. And in the letter, um, he was a Democrat, and he attended this Democrat meeting over there in Arizona. And there they said that 35,000 votes would be injected for all Democratic candidates from the federal, state, and county level, 35,000. And when they were asked, well, how would you get away with this? And then they said, well, the 35,000 votes would be scattered throughout the entire um, community. And it would be uh, within the margin of error of, um, of, I think, 1,000 votes or something like that, where it would not be, it would be, be forgiven as something normal. So, so something that, that would not have to be traced, that would not actually trigger an investigation. So this is, again, you know, vote padding, like padding your vote. And Joe Biden won by less than 35,000 votes. He only won by, I think, around 10 or 12,000 votes over there in, there in Arizona. So if this is true, the 35,000 vote padding actually helped Joe Biden win Arizona. Now, we're not sure if that email was real. He did not want to come, whoever wrote this email did not come forward to sign an affidavit. But that, that uh, 35,000 votes right there, this white hat, uh, white hat hacker, the one who worked for the government, said that it does match what he was studying. And it did look as though there, there are 35,000 votes, at least, that he can't explain where in the world it came from. So uh, that was pretty interesting. I mean, more than interesting, like very, it, it's almost something that, that rises to, you know, the level of, of hardcore fiction where you, where you would say, well, this can't really, this only exists in the fictional world of, you know, Jack Bauer in 24, not in the real world, right? This is movie Hollywood stuff. But apparently, apparently, this is this is ballot stuffing, done on a digital level. So there were ballot stuffing before, back in the olden days. This is not you know something fake. It's been going on for like, you know, before the United States became, you know, it became a nation. There was there ballot stuffing back then, and um, so what do we have now? We have digital ballot stuffing. So, and this all kind of circles around. 
back to when Joe Biden said, he on video, he said that he, he had, quote, the most extensive voter fraud organization, unquote. Now, this was dismissed, of course, by um, fact checkers. They said that that quote was taken out of context because he was talking about his lawyers that he had um, that, would, that was dispersed around the country to protect the votes. But why don't we just back it up here? So what did his, voter, what did his voters do? I mean, not, not what did, did his voters do. What did his lawyers do? His lawyers went to these states, you know, all of these swing states, which Joe Biden won, and they actually decreased voter protection. They made it so that your, your, your signature didn't count. They made sure that voter ID, you didn't have to have voter ID. They made sure that you have more mail-in ballots and that election um, ob- observers could not show up. How in the world do those lawyers, you know, create um, a voter protection? They did everything opposite. So when Joe Biden said he had the most extensive voter fraud organization, I mean, in what way? I mean, the actions of his lawyers, it doesn't say that. And here's the other thing. If he actually had a voter fraud organization to stop voter fraud, Right, to stop the, it from happening. What organization was this? Because he was not in the government at this time. Right? I mean, if Trump said that, then he would say that he had this, you know, voter fraud, you know, organization that was going against voter fraud, then you know, that's Trump because he's in the government right now. But Joe Biden was a candidate. He has no organization. He's campaigning to become to go back in office. So again, this wasn't a stutter or a slip of the tongue. He actually meant that. He actually meant that because his lawyers, he didn't campaign across the nation. Remember, Joe Biden did not campaign like Trump. His lawyers went to all these different states, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and they changed all the rules there so you can count ballots later. No ID, right? No signature matching. And that's his voter fraud protection. That you could put a little X mark on that voter, on that, on that uh, mail-in ballot, and it could be backdated, and it'll still be counted. Right? So there goes that. Now, I don't believe anything of this. I mean, I mean, Joe Biden, I just don't believe it. You heard my other podcast from before. It just doesn't matter to me. So um, it doesn't make any sense. And it's very frustrating right now for me to know that while this hearing was going on, they actually certified the election for Joe Biden. That, <laughs> how can they do that? I mean, when you, if you just hear all of this evidence out there, and the governor is Republican, and he didn't want to meet with Mayor Giuliani. And, and get this, the, uh, um, the head of the Republican National Committee um, there in Arizona, very brilliant woman, she knows all about these Dominion machines, and she said that you can't have them inside Arizona. You just can't have them. She talked to the governor, the Republican governor. So the Republican governor was very well aware of all the irregularities, all the, the, the security flaws in these machines, yet he got them in. 
Does that make any sense to you? Like, why would he do that for? I, 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 you know, Texas and all these other states, even Elizabeth Warren said, no, this is a bad idea. Don't use them. Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat, noticed it. She said, no. The New York Times said it was a bad idea. CNN wrote an, had a, a whole piece saying that, that these were really, really bad. There are YouTube videos out there with these, like, you know, brainiac kids out there just hacking these things in a, in a matter of minutes. You can hack it with a cell phone. This white hat hacker, um, that inf- information war specialist, he said you can break in and, and manipulate it in just a few seconds with just by go, walking by and plugging in a USB port. You can actually upload an algorithm like that's fast enough where you can change how you want the votes to go. And here's the other really strange thing we all keep saying. Why did all of these swing states... We'll call them swing states, right? Because they're up and they're up for grabs right now. They all stopped counting at the same time. It didn't matter what time zone they were in; they all stopped counting. And when they started counting again, Joe Biden started gaining. That's when he started gaining. He was losing up until then. It just happened to be. Again, that's more supernatural than anything I've ever seen. That's more supernatural than the Loch Ness monster, if you ask me. Right? All right. So I don't know where we go from here right now, but apparently they're, I think they're going to have another hearing over there in Michigan. And the idea right now, the strategy is for Rudy Giuliani to get into the head of these legislatures and to basically to, to, um, to get them to actually either not, not cast their electoral votes for Biden they're actually asking them to go against the, I guess, what the, the vote says, because it's not, it's not an accurate vote count to actually award the electors to either no one at all and, or to Donald Trump. And if you don't, and, and here's the thing, if, if these electors, these, these legislatures don't elect, don't award the, the, um, the delegates, or not the delegates, but the electoral votes to Joe Biden, zero. He doesn't get to 270, and neither does Trump. So then it actually goes to the legislature over there um, in, in the federal government. And the legislature, it's one vote per one state. And right now the Republicans outnumber the Democrats, and that's how Trump would actually win. So there is a pathway to, um, for Donald Trump to win still. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is a, a <laughs> the, the mainstream media won't even talk about this. They're just saying that, you know, Rudy Giuliani and the 11 hours of testimony and anyone, all of these smart, there's really, really smart people out there who are out there with graphs and everything and all their testimonies and everything. They're all paranoid idiots and they shouldn't be taken seriously. People like me who just say, hey, you know what, there's something here. It's creating reasonable doubt, more than reasonable doubt. This looks like real evidence right here that makes me say, whoa, what in the world is going on? And then you hear, the again, the, <laughs> the Democrats say, well, th- this makes no sense because Joe Biden is the comeback kid. They keep calling him the comeback kid. You know, he's amazing. He's a comeback kid. You know, he, he's so amazing, he didn't even have to campaign, and people liked him. 
And, and here, here's a really interesting thing. We, we could call it more, even more interesting. Do you, do you know that Joe Biden, if he gets inaugurated, say, for example, he wins, the, their, their campaign, there was a memo that was actually leaked. Their campaign is so worried that nobody will show up in D.C. for his inauguration. He got 80 million votes, and they're scared that nobody will show up. Why are they scared that nobody will show up? And they're saying, oh, it's because of COVID. COVID will be so bad that everyone will be scared that no one will show up. COVID doesn't stop people from, you know, showing up at, at MAGA rallies, at Trump rallies. They don't stop them from burning down cities or looting a target. They, you know, his, you know his, uh, his radical base, which there's a lot, there's a lot of, of his radical base, right? You know, you have the Black Lives Matter and you have Antifa. Well, why can't, you know, they like showing up in big crowds. So why wouldn't they show up? And th that was when COVID was at its, at its worst, right? When we didn't have all the treatments or the vaccines all the way. You know, right, you know, COVID right now is pretty bad right now. We have a lot of infections, but our deaths are high, but not, not in comparison to our infection rate. I mean, our infection rate is way higher. It's higher than it's ever been. Yet the percentage of deaths are way, way down. It's because, uh, you know, not as many elderly people are actually getting infected, which is a good thing. So, um, you know, this right here, I mean, it screams like, again, they're using COVID as every single excuse out there. And this does look like fraud. The more I look at it, the more of this testimony coming out, you know, it looks really, really it looks really bad for Biden. And I'm not sure, you know, again, if Biden were actually, you know, say, for example, if he were actually innocent, why wouldn't he come out and say, hey, let's get to the bottom of this because I'm for all of America. He keeps saying we need to unite America. We, we need to, everyone needs to unite. Well, and in order for us to unite, the only thing that has to happen, according to Joe Biden, is that, is that Trump has to concede. That's it. And the whole world, the whole world can start healing. They like to use that word like, like the world was broken with Donald Trump. The world was actually better under Donald Trump. We had peace in the Middle East without any war. We didn't go to war with North Korea. Iran was getting poorer and they're not a threat. We had better trade deals. We had low unemployment. You know, what in the world, right? What is he talking about? So I just don't get it. I really, really don't get it, man. I really don't. But uh, anyway, that's all for the politics for today. Um, there will be more coming out, and uh, but that's all I'll be, I'll be talking about. We're going to go straight into barbecue right after I get back from break. So here we are. We're going to talk about some barbecue right now. Um, we're going to leave the politics back because... Uh, I'll just keep repeating myself over and over and over again because I'm just mad. I'm just mad. But you know what's a good thing about barbecue is that when you get mad, you know, barbecue kind of fixes everything. What do we say that for? What do I say that for? You know, I, I, I like to joke around and say barbecue is probably, probably one of the most manly things a man can ever do. Because when you get barbecue, you have to get the wood. You have to take a chainsaw to the tree. You have to cut it, and you cut the wood with an axe. And, you know, you're out there just sledgehammering things with an axe, right? I mean, you're just, like, whipping it, splitting the wood. And that stuff, that takes up a lot of stress. You know, 
I hear Joe Biden speak, I go out there, chainsaw some wood, smash some wood with an axe. It it's very much like, you know, you know, you know, women like to do their yoga, you know, men should split wood. And when you split wood, trust me, that's meditation right there. But today I wanted to wanted to talk to talk about a little bit about fire management and when it comes to uh you know managing a fire in a barbecue pit. And uh this is really uh, a cool thing to do. Um, it, it takes a while, and it's you know ma- managing a fire pit, managing a um, I guess the fire in um, a smoker is a real art, and it's it's one of the best excuses to play with fire because when you smoke a brisket, um, you get to play with fire for about you know anywhere between eight and six, eight to sixteen hours, and uh, you know what guy doesn't you know what guy doesn't want to do that? I mean, you actually get to play with fire, you invite your friend over, you know, you, you pop open a beer, well, I don't drink, but you know, a lot of guys do, you get to watch some football, play with fire and drink beer, you know, what in the world, that is like heaven right there, right, then after that, you get to, you get to eat smoked meat, so it's, again, it's great, isn't it, it sounds really cool, but, uh, you know, managing fi- uh, fire pit is actually, it is an art to learn, um, there's all different techniques techniques on how to do it, but one thing that you need to know, you have to start off by, first of all, choosing the right type of wood. And uh, when I say choosing the right type of wood, first of all, you have to make sure that your wood is dry enough where it would actually um, um, light up um, pretty easily uh, without, without much effort. So that, that means your wood has to be seasoned and dry enough. And when I say the word season, that means usually um, your it's either kiln dried, which is okay, or dried naturally, meaning that you had chopped the wood, split the wood, and probably probably let it you know set out in your yard or under a covering for about six to eight months. And uh, the best way to do, actually do it is to have seasoned wood. So you, you the wood that I chopped today will not be usable until about six to eight months down the road. And that's why you see a lot of these smokers or a lot of these um, pitmasters, they just have like a, tons of wood in the in the background because that wood is being seasoned for to smoke a brisket six to eight months down the road. So um, that's the number one most important thing is to get your wood seasoned. And then secondly, it's also to you know choose the right type of wood. Um, every wood has a different flavor, and you can't smoke every type of wood. If you actually smoke the wrong type of wood, um, you may actually kill people. Um, I've heard that. I heard of that. I read about that happening. So you have to be very careful. You choose the right type of wood. Um, if you're not sure if this wood is smokable, just Google it. Just really Google it. I like to use um, lychee, mango, and kiawe. Um that's what's here in Hawaii. Uh, Kiawe is a version of mesquite wood. Um, it's a it's a breed of it's a breed of mesquite. Um, it's strong, very strong, like mesquite. So it's good for smoking brisket, but it's not. It it, it tastes a lot sweeter. So the it's not like mesquite wood. Like if, I I really don't like mesquite actually to smoke with actual real mesquite. It, the flavor just comes out very. Uh, it's, it's, it's very pungent. It's very, um, it tastes like a charcoal. It, t- it tastes like gasoline in a way. It doesn't taste good at all. So, um, in fact, I would rather, you know, smoke with apple, hickory, or, or post oak, ra- anything rather than mesquite. Um, but, um, keave, which again is a breed of mesquite, it 
it smokes really, really well. So the um, the flavor that you'll get is a very sweet flavor out of your brisket. Um, it won't taste like gasoline. It won't taste anything like mesquite. Um, so it's very, very good. And it grows like weeds here in Hawaii. Um, it's everywhere. On the, if on the dry side, on the Waianae side of, um, of Oahu, it's just everywhere. You can pull on the side of the road and cut down a tree if you wanted to. I'm not sure if it's legal to do that, but you can. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. So, um, but once you get your wood and you chop it, um, there's all different techniques on how to actually manage your fire. Uh, one of the main things I like to do is when I first start my fire, I like to start it hot. But what I first do is I, I get a bunch of coals, regular, regular coals, like briquettes, and I start it. And I, I, I start in the chimney, and I actually pour all those charcoals into my firebox. Now, some, some people like to use a flamethrower to start their, fi- their um, initial, initial wood. Um, I just like to use a charcoal because it's, it just makes it a lot easier. So I can stick, so I can start with a good, good, good charcoal bed at least. And then I start putting my, um, my, my pieces of wood into there and I form like a log cabin in there. So I start building a log cabin, which kind of looks like a number sign. And I build it and I split my wood rather small. I don't want very big splits in there because the bigger the split, um, the more likely it will smoke and the more likely it will take a longer time to burn and it won't burn as hot. So when you split your wood with your axe or your splitter, you know, make it, make it small. You know, there's no need to make it like the size of your forearm or, or something that you actually burn like in your fireplace. You can actually make it maybe about, maybe about two inches thick and it will actually burn a lot faster, burn a lot hotter. And um, if you build a little log cabin inside of there, uh, you know, it'll get hot very, very quickly and you won't have to, act, it'll, it'll create a very, very good charcoal bed. Um, so once you, once you, you build your little, you, you put your hot coals in there, then you start building a little, a little log cabin inside there. I call it, I call it a log cabin because it looks like one. Um, then you can kind of just make sure, uh, make sure that it catches fire and it starts going, right? And uh, once that, um, once they, they stop, when you start, when, when, the, when the wood starts to catch on fire, it will t- give off a white smoke. Um, but hopefully, if the wood is seasoned correctly, you will actually, um, that white smoke will disappear pretty quickly and it will turn to a very clean smoke. What you're looking for is a very clear smoke. And um, after, after that happens, you close the lid, right? You, you close the firebox lid and then you can actually just watch, you know, watch the, the temperature go up and... Uh, You'll see it spike now. If you're if you're um, if you're cooking on a on a on a backyard grill, um, the firebox is very close to the smoker, and you'll see temperature spike go up and down a lot pretty quick because um, <laughs> the firebox are just so close to the smoker, and it's just so it's so difficult to maintain a um, a constant um, I guess a constant temperature with a backyard smoker, but it's still very, very possible. You, you just have to baby it a lot more. In fact, if you cook on a backyard smoker versus a large propane, you know, 250 gallon or 500 gallon propane smoker. Uh, and when I say propane, these are just like old propane tanks that the gas is taken out and then converted by a welder into a smoker. Um, they're huge. Um, I, I don't have one yet, um, but they are. I, I will be getting one later this year or later, later, later next year. Um, but 
they're so much easier to smoke on, on because there's just the heat is not doesn't fluctuate as much. So um, it does take a little longer for heat to actually build up in them, but once it's there, um, they maintain heat very easily. You don't have to add as much wood, um, and um, they're they're not as finicky. But a backyard smoker is very very finicky. But anyway, once your temperature gets up gets up to um, gets up there, and if it keeps going up, your main thing is that you want your main goal is that you want two things: you want enough heat stable heat and you want a clean thought you want clean smoke um, when you uh, in order to have clean smoke you have to have you know flame and you have to have a lot and in order order, order to have clean smoke you have to have a lot of air so sometimes um, you, if you actually close off your fire and say for example um, your your fires at 350 degrees and your you need to be at 275 and you actually close off that little vent on the side well, what you're doing when you do that is that you're choking out the fire. And then all of a sudden, your smoke, you actually get, you know, white billowing smoke. And you don't want that. You really don't want that. That goes into the meat and it tastes like gas. So instead of doing that, the easiest thing to do with a backyard smoker is that if you're up there at 350 and you want to get, to get down to 275, just open up, the, open up the lid of the firebox and allow your fire to breathe. And then allow the temperature to escape the firebox. And uh, that is probably the safest way. Just open it up. And your, your temperature will go down eventually. And then when the, when the fire does want to like, you know, run its course and burn down, just close the fire lid. Or you can even, sometimes I'll even take another piece of wood and I'll hold open the fire lid just about an inch or two, allowing enough heat to escape. And, but I want that fire to breathe. I don't want to choke it off. And because I want that, it's more important for me to have a clean smoke than anything else. Because if your your temperature can go up and down, the brisket, the meats, they can handle it. Dreamy, trust me on this. They're not as finicky as a lot of people think they are. You are overcooking your meat. When you smoke anything, you overcook the meat. So, and the fat will render down. You know, eventually, when you when you come close to two hundred three or two hundred, your fat will render down. So don't worry about you know the, a temperature that goes up and down too much. Uh, what you what you have to worry more about is clean smoke. So there's all different techniques here. Now, as far as what goes inside goes on inside the firebox. Um, now, if your temperature gets really hot, and say you built maybe the the um, the the log cabin technique, right? And uh, and we, again, we build that because fire likes to climb. It doesn't really jump side to side. It likes to climb. Uh, but if it's too hot, then you can actually take out some pieces of wood you know, from your firebox. That's number one. Or number two, you can actually um, take, take, your, take your wood and move it further away from each other. And um, oh, before I, before I forget, um, when you start, uh, I guess, um, I guess uh, cooking... It's really good to get fire tongs. Um, just go on Amazon and get some fire tongs because these are like huge, giant, giant like again, like chopsticks or or tongs, right? And they're you know they have some that are for the fire pit, like you know when you um, when you actually uh, uh, I guess have have it in your fireplace, you have fire tongs, right? Those are big things right there. But they have some that are designed for your firebox, and they're really long, and it's, it makes it really good so you can kind of like. Like, um, you know, play, I call it firebox Jenga, 
um, and move your hot pieces of wood all around your firebox. And the farther they are, they are away from each other, um, the cooler the, the fire is. So uh, again, so if you have a 350 degree firebox, I mean, 350 degrees out there, you want to get to, to get down to, to 275 or 250, you can take out pieces of wood, that's number one, or you can move the pieces of wood away from that. Um, you can actually break down your log cabin and then just pile, pile your wood side by side, and that will actually bring down that temperature pretty quickly. And that piece of wood that's on the side that's burning, you can kind of put it in, in, in kind of like a, your, uh, a chimney. You can throw that back in there as you get as you um, as the temperature drops, and that will just catch on fire just really really quick because it's already like you know turning to charcoal. So um, that's how you kind of manage manage the firebox. You're doing all these different types of ways of like actually you know all different techniques on just trying to manage the fire. Again, if you're a backyard smoker using a using say for example uh, uh, an Oklahoma Joe's, um, it's a lot more difficult than using the big propane sm smoker. Um, and one thing you also want to do is have an axe on hand. And I always say have an axe on hand because you can actually split the wood uh, to the size you need it. So, and again, the smaller the wood, the hotter the fire gets, the quicker. And, and you, you can kind of get it to say, for example, if you're, um, if, if, my, if, my, if, I'm a, if I'm at around maybe 225 and I want it to go up to 250 or 275, I'll split a piece of wood, small, and I'll throw it in there. And just one piece of wood, and it'll get me up to 275 really quick, and it'll, it'll stay there. So uh, it, that's, and again, that's better if I've had a big piece of wood. If I put a bigger piece of wood in there, it may not catch on fire, and then it will slowly inch its way up to 275. Or it may be, if it's too big, it won't, may not even go up at all. So again... Have that axe handy so you can split that piece of wood. And again, the smaller the piece of wood is, the faster and hotter it will burn. And um, so when you start getting those nice big charcoal beds, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Once, once, these wood, once the wood goes to charcoal, um, by the way, that's when you want to take a shovel and you start breaking it apart into big little pieces of charcoal. And then you can put another piece of wood on top of there. And again, now we have a charcoal bed, not made out of briquettes, but actual, actual wood coals. And then we just start building our log cabin again. The same thing repeats over and over again. But sometimes when you have enough of a charcoal bed, that firebox is so hot, you just have to put one piece of wood in there. Just to, so you can have bring that temperature up to 250, 275 and have enough smoke. Now, while we're on the topic of smoke... Um, you know, for myself, uh, I'm a very much, um, you know, I don't really like clean smoke as much as, and I don't like dirty smoke. Trust me, I don't like dirty smoke. But when we talk about um, dirty smoke, that's the billowing white smoke, and it just makes food taste horrible. But the ideal smoke color is this bluish smoke, the same color that when a motorcycle, when you gas the motorcycle, and that blue smoke comes out of the tailpipe. That's actually really, really good flavor. Now, if you have a flame and it's actually clear, that can be. But then at that point, if a, if a fire burns too clean, it's basically the equivalent of burning propane. And I find that when I've burned clean, real clean, 
like really, really clean. You don't get much smoke flavor into there. You're just you're just giving off heat. And then there and that and that and again at that point, it makes no sense to use a smoker if you're gonna just give off heat. And there's certain times when that happens. Like say for example, you can be at you can have a firebox that is such a great charcoal bed in there, and you're actually at 275 because your charcoal bed is perfect. And it's giving off this heat, and it's so clean. It's so, so clean inside there. But you're, you can put your nose up to, the, up to the chimney, and you won't even smell any kiabe, which is mesquite again, right? And kiabe is very, very strong. And, and again, nothing. There, there's no flavor. It's just heat. So I always tell people that if, if you have no fire, no flames, and you only have a charcoal bed, that's not good either. Because then again, you've turned your smoker into basically a huge propane tank. And um, because you have to have that smoke, you need smoke. It needs to be a little dirty. So what you do at that point is that when I, when I, if I'm at 275, and perfectly, and it's, it's a great charcoal bed, and you have the heat, I'll just throw um, kind, of, kind of like a small piece of green wood in there. When I say green, it's not seasoned at all. We're talking small. We're talking like a branch. And it will actually give off just a little, just a little smoke in there, turn it a little blue, and um, that will give me some flavor. Again, it's a little green, but it just adds, it adds something, because you have to have that. And that's really, really important. So uh, let's see here. Is there anything else about fire management here that I need to need to talk about? You know, um, don't worry about if you're not if it's not perfect, um, especially if you're a backyard smoker on these like little ones. Um, that temperature is going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. And don't you know? Don't lose your hair over it. Um, you, you're still going to come out with incredible barbecue. Um, there's a lot of mods out there that people get to put on top of their like little backyard grills. And um, they, when they do that, um, it helps keep the heat inside of the, the, the smoker. Uh, and it does make, I guess, it does make you know, managing the fire a little easier. But to me, I, I still think um, learning how to, I guess le- learning how to manage a, a, a very um, finicky backyard smoker makes you a really good, you know, eventually a really great pit master. I mean, if you can do a, a backyard smoker really great, you can manage a big fire pit, no problem. So anyway, that's about it regarding barbecue. You know, I haven't, you know, I really haven't talked a lot about barbecue, but um, I wanted to make sure I, I kind of fit that in there because I've just been obsessed with politics. I'm just obsessed with it, you know? And, uh, but I know I, I got to talk about barbecue because that's part of my, that's part of my title, right? Barbecue to movies. But anyway, uh, that is about it for today. Um, I will catch you later on. Uh, tomorrow, I am not going to be um, um, talking at all. Uh, I'm, I have a, another segment on Wednesdays that I have to get, re- get ready for. Uh, that is Wedding Wednesdays. Now, I do own, other than working in the entertainment industry, my, the primary source of my income um, is actually working in the wedding in the industry. I actually own a wedding company here in Hawaii. Um, things haven't been that great, you know, because of COVID, but um, things are hopefully getting back. And I, but I will, pro- I, I have promised um, my Facebook group that I will be talking about weddings every Wednesday. So we have 
wedding Wednesdays. And then on Saturdays, those are screenwriting Saturdays because um, I am getting back into the screenwriting business and the entertainment industry. Um, that's kind of a forced thing because of, again, because of COVID. It's not my ideal thing to go back into the entertainment industry, but you got to pay the bills and look forward to doing something else, right, in the future. So uh, screenwriting Saturdays, wedding Wednesdays, everything else is barbecue to movies, everything else, right, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and even Sunday. So um, that's about it, though. Hopefully you had a I, – I didn't put you to sleep, and uh, I would be checking on you later on on Thursday. So – See you later.